Hello and welcome to Smooth Scaling, the podcast from Insight Partners that helps revenue leaders scale their software companies at every stage of growth. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan, and today I'm speaking yet again with Elena Cadden-Bollen, VP of Revenue Development and Operations at Wiz, a company on a mission to help organizations create secure cloud environments. Last time Alana and I spoke, we spoke about going from zero to three cloud marketplaces. Today, we're going to focus on another critical initiative that Alana was involved with that had a major impact on revenue performance. Thanks for having me back, Jeremy. This is so much fun. And I love hearing what other revenue ops leaders are doing. So I'm happy to share. Oftentimes when a revenue operations team will take on a very big project, they they notify the rest of the company that we're basically going to keep the lights on on everything else, but you should expect your service level to potentially decline on on other requests. Were you able to do more than than keep the lights on and and how did you how did you manage the team in a in a way that you could, you know, all be working on this while all the other things that you need to do? Well, I think one of the benefits of having great investors is that we really have been able to staff our team and Wiz has really invested in the resources that we needed to do that. That I would say first and foremost is important. The second part is we were so small 18 months ago. (laughs) We had a pretty small operation at that point. And I think that helped us that we were, we put a lot of things in place early because of the trajectory. You've now had the experience of working with companies of different sizes and both as a, as an employee, as well as a, a consultant, Maybe this is obvious, but is it is it easier to tackle those complex projects when the team is small as opposed to to having kind of a larger team and, and more bureaucracy in the organization? Certainly, there is less red tape. We had fewer people who had to approve, fewer decision makers. We also, I think that one of the things about working for companies that are of the size, and I think particularly that come out of the Israeli market, is that it's very practical, it's very hardworking, it's very results-oriented. And so there were a lot of people that we needed to get on board with this, and everybody made it a priority. One of the most important things that we do at Wiz in the revenue team is we outline what we're going to do. Because of our success, a lot of people want to work with us. They want us to be in a lot of places doing a lot of things. And it is easy to say yes. And so from the top down at every level, we try to start the year with, this is what we're doing. And like a Warshock test, (laughs) this is what we're doing also shows you this is what we're not doing. And so when people want to do things, which are awesome, people have phenomenal ideas, we have to go back to what we said we were going to do and see if we can accommodate. We always want to say yes. Is there more top-down command and control? I ask that because I spent a substantial part of my career in a company that operated incredibly effectively. And part of that operational effectiveness was clear definition of what we would and would not do. And when people had ideas, even innovative ideas, though, if they did not align to one of the company's strategic initiatives, it had to go very, very high in the organization for review and approval. And it's a good and a bad thing, but I'm wondering if that's part of the operating principle there as well. I don't know that I would really call it command and control, but I think that we do try to give people guidance and barriers. I think when you have a vacuum is when the challenges start. And one of the great things about 
how fast we're growing is that we typically do annual planning roughly quarterly. So Lana, you want to take us into a, a new initiative that you worked on? Absolutely. At several companies I've worked at, both on the AE side and on the revenue office side, I've been part of a resegmentation. So when I was at Salesforce and as a BDR and then an AE, they went from two or three segments to many more. I think now they have 10. At that time, they were inserting general business and very small business. And when we were at Duo and I was, we were acquired by Cisco, we had to align to their segmentation as overlays. And recently at Wiz, we started off with two segments. And as our business has grown, we've seen our revenue distribution align to what we feel are more of four natural segments. And you know, when when we've in each case, having been both on the sales side and on the op side, it can be very jarring. The deals have been run a certain way. If you are an AE, you might be gaining or losing pipeline. You might be feeling like you got promoted. You might feel like you got demoted. It can be really hard on the leadership side to balance the need to do something for a growing business with making sure that people are in a great position to sell. In all the cases that we've done this, the first piece is really about analysis. And I always know what question I want to ask with the data. I am not the best at, with my with with formulas or 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 tableau, but I always know what question I want answered and I am relatively good at seeing where the data makes sense once I can see it, once I've asked have the questions I've asked answered. And so the first thing we do is really look at globally, how is our revenue distributed in each region? Are there natural humps? For however you're segmenting, whether it's employee size or revenue or an arbitrary metric that you have come up with, looking at where are the natural spikes and then looking into the deals to see what are the resources that those deals take and what does the sales cycle look like? So when we started Wiz, when I came to Wiz, we had done a handful of transactions. We were bringing in the first sellers and we arbitrarily picked a line and had two segments and we sold. And we've been very focused on companies who have large cloud spends. We, we have started to see a difference though. And when I think about when I was on the selling side at Salesforce, I think that's something that for me didn't stand out when we, they were positioning the change. Like, why, why are we doing this? Oh, we have to get bigger. Yes, of course. But really, it's about aligning the right resources to each group. And what we found at Wiz particularly is we have some customers who have such enormous cloud environments that to utilize a tool like Wiz takes a tremendous amount of resources for them to figure out across the organization what that means. These are large media companies. These are enormous retailers. These are large financial institutions none of whose names I'm going to say. And when we embark on those sales cycles, which frankly are relatively fast because we don't have a lot of great competition in the market, we have to marshal resources across our security team, our engineering team, our development team, our product team, and numerous sales engineers. So we wanted to make sure that that team was well cared for and that it didn't slow down the other parts of our business. And I think that this, the same was true looking back on things at Salesforce. At the time, we were starting to do our largest deals. And as you're starting to do deals that are eight and nine figures, you've got to have a different set of resources available. But at the same time, 
while those de- deals are exciting, they are peaks and valleys. And the true value of SaaS is having a really smooth curve of revenue. And so you want to make sure that you're not disrupting the deals that are happening in the traditional enterprise and the mid-enterprise and small business. Also, on the on the small side, you're dealing with, and, and for us, a lot of those companies are really high growth companies, cloud first companies, many that are going to move quickly probably through our segments. And for them, they have, as you mentioned, when we talked previously, there's less bureaucracy. There are fewer resources and we need to have a more agile process for them, both for evaluation and for implementation. Everyone wants to be product-led growth. We're a security company, so we keep a lot of things very secure, but we do want to give our customers flexibility to be able to do what they need to do to implement. We want to give them those resources to move quickly and for us to not impede that. So on the lower end of the market, we have a variety of, of resources that are available to all of our customers, but I think our some of our customers who are starting their journey spend more time there. We have a customer community. We have customer training they can take at any time, live or virtual. So we want them to be able to get up and running really, really quickly. And we want to make sure we're not a barrier to that. Let me ask a couple of questions here then. One is, yes, you said you had uh, two original segments. And I'll just make a comment on my own experience. I I did that not too long ago where we went from uh, commercial and enterprise and just like you to four to four segments instead. And we went through a very similar exercise. We looked at the average contract value, the win rate and the sales cycle. And we segmented those on absolutely on natural breaks. And we found that there was a, a VSB segment that was super high velocity, low contract value that needed to be kind of treated a certain way. We had an SMB segment. We had then a mid-market and then an enterprise segment. And it turned out the mid-market enterprise segments had very similar land ACVs, rather similar sales cycles also, which is a, a note to people that right, the mid-market and the enterprise can take just as long uh, to, to, to sell to. But the, obviously, the expansion potential changed the motion a bit on the, on the large enterprise side. You had an interesting piece in there, though, also, which was large cloud spend. Were you able to get good data on the cloud spend of companies? You know, data is not as good as a compass or a map, right? Data is a little bit more maybe like a tide, right? Where it can guide you, but it can't be the be all end all. And I think we have people who want to live and die by data. And there are some data sets that we utilize. Cloud is an interesting term. On my first day at Wiz, one of our founders, Ami Litbuck, was doing an overview for me. And we were talking through things and he had a grid. And he was talking about end user security and infrastructure security. And he was talking about on-premise and cloud. And he showed me where, where we played. And I thought, oh dear God, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> I know a lot about users and applications. I do not know a lot about infrastructure. And when you say cloud and when I say cloud, we mean two different things. And I had to really, even in my role, I had to get a huge education. I spent a very brief time as an employee at Informatica, and then after that, I consulted for them for a bit. And between that and the time that I spent learning Cisco's stack after Duo was acquired, those two pieces were actually the most helpful. Because what Salesforce does, and a lot of the companies we worked with when I was consulting, like Dropbox and Okta, they're fantastic, but it's a totally different thing. And so... I feel that way about the cloud data. We have cloud data, but we're looking for cloud infrastructure data. 
I don't care if you have Office 365 because that has nothing to do with me. So I take all the data with a grain of salt. Right, right. I was relating, by the way, on the difference between cloud and cloud infrastructure that that people don't see the guts, the internal guts of what's going on. It's it's like, you know, so I, I was talking to somebody who worked by way of analogy for like a medical supply company. And the next time I went for my annual physical, I, I noticed, right, because I hadn't thought of it before. And I see this brand right on on everything. So it's until you open your eyes to some of that stuff or you're educated on some of that stuff, you don't even know. You don't even know that it's there. You you really don't. And I think I, I feel really grateful. I think especially as we're seeing a lot of companies lay people off security, there are auxiliary security tools. I think we have been really insulated by the fact that there is a huge need for cloud infrastructure security. For the resegmentation exercise, mm -hmm. when I've done it in the past, I've tried to be very thoughtful about the timing that we would only do the resegmentation. I mean, we tried to do it only as an annual exercise, right, at the start of the fiscal year. When you've done them in the past, you've done several of them. Did you have a similar rule? Or if you're growing super fast, maybe you don't have that luxury. We have limited it to the beginning of the year. I don't think it's had such an impact that we have needed to do it more frequently. It really, to your point, is such a major seismic shift that you want to wait until you're moving accounts in any, in any case. So we do it as part of our beginning of the year. This is the first time it was at Salesforce it was similarly done at the beginning of the year. When we, when Duo was acquired by Cisco, we had several different fiscal years that we were working towards. So it felt more disruptive, I think, in that case. Also in that case, we were moving to another segmentation that wasn't because of market forces it was to align. The other segmentation we haven't done yet that is coming one day is more around verticals and less so, I don't know if we will ever verticalize for things like financials, but I do think Fed and SLED are probably on the on the horizon. Yeah, there's such specialized ways of contracting their a completely different language relationships and so on. So that it, it that does make sense. The other thing when I resegmented, I I had to, I always phone a friend when I'm going to do these kinds of things. And I, I got a great tip of advice, which was to create this idea of the hold back account bucket so that every rep gets to unconditionally hold back some number of accounts, not a huge number, five to ten maybe, ten at the at the maximum, to just get rid of any grumbling and and lower the friction of the resegmentation exercise so they could hold on to a certain amount of accounts for a certain period of time, whatever, three, six months, that so they could just close those out. Any other, I don't know if you use that rule, but any other rules of thumb that you would give people as advice when they're resegmenting their account base? Well, I would say that you have to, you have to be practical, both at the rep level and also at the leader level. We tend to have very, had very generous holdover policies I also call those the cursed account policies because once something is a holdover, I've, it dooms it to not close. But we look at where things are in the sales cycle. If it's far enough along, we we try to keep it there. But we also at the same time don't want to punish people who are coming in as new hires. Well, our time is running out, so I would love to just ask you a couple a couple quick yeah. quick fire questions here. The first is there's there's been a, a ton of press lately about AI and generative AI in particular, but what impact do you think AI will have on the future of revenue operations? I am maybe a Luddite for a technical revenue operations leader, but one of the things that has been the hardest for me is I feel like we are over-tooled, not at Wiz, but 
salespeople love to buy things. So there's a lot out there. But in general, I think that we AI can be helpful like data. It can be a guide. We are moving to a new attribution model for pipeline. And it's important that you look at what do you think and what does the tool tell you? And look at it alongside each other. Not because your model was right or not right. But I think that, especially right now, the bells and whistles are great, but you need a solid foundation. So I love AI, but you can't have it without the people actually doing their jobs. I often refer to it as augmented intelligence. The chat GPT world right now is is like, yes, if you go to chat GPT and ask it to write you an article, it's a starting point. It, it gives you some guidance. It's not perfect, but then you you still want to put your own your own thought and context into into those things. Last question is, you know, we have a lot of scale up CEOs who listen to the show and and some of them are building revenue operations for the first time. What advice do you have a, for a scale up CEO who is building out RevOps for the first time? There's a book that I'm not going to remember the name of it, and it's an older book. And you write out your org chart with every role. Even if you don't have a revenue operations org, outline all the functions and figure out who's responsible for them and how you're going to hold them accountable. I think that what I hear mostly from people who are scaling up is they don't do things like pipeline hygiene. They don't do things like deal hygiene because they're too busy and that's not their job. And so to me, those are the things that are most important. If you can get comp right, if you can get pipeline hygiene and forecasting right, you can do it on paper, you can do it on a spreadsheet, you you can make it real simple, but it's about holding yourself accountable. Alana, it was amazing chatting with you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom today about resegmentation. So great to talk to you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Smooth Scaling Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. For more information about the topics we discussed today, check out the Insight Partners blog at insightpartners.com slash blog. See you next time.